0: If we say we can do it, we do it. So the state likes the fact that we do what we say we're going to do, And we can account for every dollar.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking with Bob Marshall, the general manager of Pluma Sierra Rural Electric Cooperative and also the Pluma Sierra Telecommunications Company, which is uh, the the subsidiary of the Electric Co-op. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm I'm very excited to to talk with you I just uh, we we touched base um, earlier this week for the first time um, although I was a little bit familiar with uh, some of the work that you've already done that we'll touch on and the thing that I loved was you you just immediately were saying that um, you know when it comes to California you're pretty much interested in your co-op and Anza in terms of what they're doing for broadband when you know you and I are, are very much on the same page in terms of that um, that love of the co-ops and let me just ask you where did that come from?
0: It's, it's funny. California has so few electric co-ops. I had heard about them once at Berkeley. That's it. Once. And I was working at a municipal utility, Palo Alto, and someone had said there was a job up here and applied for it. We drove over a certain pass and said, oh, my God, humans live here. <laughs> there wasn't any jobs at the time. Um, for, you know, it's, it's, it's sparse, but beautiful. And I read a book called The Next Greatest Thing. It was the 50-year anniversary of the co-op movement. And I actually, it's a coffee table book. And I cried in it. It was just like, this, this is how humans should do stuff. And it just, so I got the job as member services director, um, which is a broad portfolio of everything nobody else wants, energy services, et cetera. And then ended up being a, hey, that's a satellite dish. You want to be involved? And I volunteered and it ended up eventually I became manager after some interesting years. Um, so it really was just the model of the co op model of we can do it um, if we band together just really inspired me.
1: Excellent. So um, the electric co-op uh, is something that uh, you know everyone knows about, and it generally goes back to um, the, the Roosevelt years in, in terms of their history. But uh, tell us about how Pluma Sierra got into telecommunications.
0: We moved. My wife and I um, moved up from the Bay Area, and we're delighted. And we rented a house this little town of Cromberg. It's population two hundred. There was one radio station. Um, there was no TV at all. And it was one of those like, there's not a single service here. So this area is just beautiful. And I loved it. And parents had used to have a cabin in the woods. And it's like, yay. Oh, my God, there's no services. So when all the co-ops banded together and formed the National Rural Telecommunication Cooperative, they started offering, trying to strike deals to offer C-band services, direct TV. So it became an opportunity for me to say, you know, we could really provide value to the community, but also have the community care that we're a co-op. It was the 50-year anniversary. And all the people who started the co-op under um, Roosevelt were all dying. I mean, like, literally, I was getting interviews at the 50-year anniversary, people who weren't around three years later. Mm -hmm. And so it really became a, hey, we need to make the co-op matter. And it was a great opportunity.
1: Now you you might be a la- you might laugh at me but for people who aren't familiar with where um Plumas and Sierra counties are um California's <laughs> freaking huge. Uh, like, um I think if you basically if you go, if you're in Sacramento and you drive e- if you fly east toward Nevada just before you hit the state line you're more or less in the right area is that right?
0: Vaguely. And and it's it's highway I-80 goes northeast um up to Reno. And uh, we are north of I, of Truckee by about an hour. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not too far past where the Donner Party stopped for the winter. Yeah, so we're northwest of Reno all along, right on the border. There's two co-ops, one up in the corner of the state, then us, Plumas, Lassen, and Sierra counties, Mount Lassen's in our county. So we're north of Lake Tahoe, north of Truckee, northwest of Reno.
1: Okay. So so you got involved when the other electric co-ops were, were starting to look at this, but when did you start doing uh, fiber optic services? Uh, presumably first for electric side stuff, but then uh, how did you get into uh, more using that for broadband for residents and businesses?
0: So we did TV and we made um, very good money. It was very popular all across the country. And we uh, jumped into the internet and we did dial-up. So we grew very organically from dial-up to Uh, Then some wireless with a with a company. Then our own wireless went okay. Then did satellite internet on wild. What was Wild Blue became VSAT became Exceed. I've lost track what the official name is Mm -hmm. these days. We were very big into that, and we actually served a lot of the country. Um, And then uh, we applied for in the. Uh, recovery, A-R-R-A stimulus fund. Uh, we applied and we didn't get the, the last mile grants. We got the mid-mile grant. So it was very important because at and couldn't give us any more T1 lines. We literally had six megs of backhaul for our wireless and Frontier was charging us some outrageous amount of money and so we got the grant. We had to have six board meetings in the six weeks to bring the board along. You know, when you catch the bus, what do you do with it? So we went for it. And that's what sort of launched the modern version, which is in the fiber optic.
1: When people are trying to envision this. It's mostly forest land. I feel like it's a lot of small towns connected by roads um, that are probably <laughs> um you know beautiful drives but um but not exactly a lot of uh, land that's available uh, in between the areas that are settled or um, are people do people live all throughout there or um, it's hard to tell from above
0: yes, and it, it's a real interesting mix. it's you've got big valleys um there's a giant flat they used to be um lakes actually and they filled in and Tahoe's twin sister literally uh is there. so you have valleys that are a lot of ag. And should stay ag, you have lots of national forest, then you've got a lot of private land. So um, definitely, it's definitely a mix, lots of five and 10 acre parcels. I'm on one of those. Um, Little compact towns from the old days, little railroad towns, a lot of those. So real mixed two-lane highways. And so you go from deep timber to the west to high desert to the east. And, and we do a little bit of Nevada, which is definitely high desert. Um, <laughs> you know, Burning Man's only 50 air miles east of us, not even 40 air miles east of, east of our system, though many a mountain range.
1: Now, the way you describe, though, sounds painful to serve. So what is your mix of services that, that you use to try and deliver people service for today?
0: The first grant was for a fiber optic backbone that went to the hospitals and went to the county seats, both Lassen County, Plumas County, and then the the city and one town in Sierra, uh, Sierra County. So uh, we had wireless. We used this to beef up our wireless system and increase speeds. As we had thought we'd be a mid-mile provider because AT&T, Frontier, the cable TV companies all said, Hey, um, this will be, um, well, great. We'll buy it from you. Um, they were kidding us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you weren't the only one.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, it's really, it, what hit us was, you know, especially in AT&T country, that which is about half our territory. Um, and people started saying, that's great. Um, I'm glad you got the high school and the hospital now have fiber optic for telemedicine. When are you getting to my house? And we would say, you have to understand, that was a mistake. <laughs> <have to> <laughs> It'd be really great if you understood. Out, we're going to try for some more grants. And and so about two uh, annual meetings, and co-ops have annual meetings that are part carnival, part business meeting. And we're explaining to the crowd about the grants. And a familiar voice goes, when are you get to our house? And I sat down and the board president goes, ain't that your wife? <laughs> and- <laughs> It's like, yes. Yes, it was. And the next year we still were trying to drive the cable TV companies by from us. And they started to. And board president gets up and just says, don't worry. I know you're all yelling at us. We're going to get to everybody. I'd written his speech and I had not put that in his (laughs) speech. It was like and the board looking at each other like we didn't vote on that. But the crowd. People would start, you know, in a lot of co-ops that weren't desirous of being in the business, people were going to start running for boards if we didn't start providing the service. And so we started doing pilot programs with fiber optic in subdivisions and see what the take rate was and, you know, do modest size gambles. We've stuck with wireless for the big valleys. I mean, there can be a a ranch with 2000 acres. And one house, so using fiber there is going to be rough unless we get um, continued grants. So we do wireless, and we're hitting 100 megs there. And then we bought a cable TV company went defunct, and we bought bought it for pennies, and literally four dollars for four different chunks on the sheriff's steps. The pole position is made it valuable. The the system runs like garbage, and we turn, we turn parts of it on. And it runs okay for coax and through uh, Doxis 3.0. But eventually, we're going to tear it all down and put up fiber optic. So it became a mixed bag. Eventually, we'll be wireless um, in the most remote areas. And then we're quietly working to make more and more of it fiber optic.
1: Now, I think you just recently got some really good news in terms of uh, grants to help you make some of these investments. Can you share what's happening
0: there? At the California Public Utilities Commission has uh, given us uh, just shy of twenty three million dollars of grants to get to very specific areas. Um, it's an interesting puzzle piece uh, in that it's it's very it's carved out census blocks. So they say you get money to serve these twenty homes, but not those. And it's interesting. The CPUC is tired of being yelled at by people who are bypassed because other um, recipients will go to the grant recipients only. And then they don't bother serving the people who they went down the street. Mm-hmm. And the CPUC seems to like what we're doing because we usually come in under budget. Um, we, you know, when we say we're going to do something. We're going to do something. The board of directors is, are you going to meet the deadline? So, you know, and I think the agencies, state and federal, are all sick of, give me the money in RDOF, for example. Oh, I have no idea how I'm going to serve there. Whereas if we say we can do it, we do it. It, So so the state likes the fact that we do what we say we're going to do. And same with ANZA, the other co-op down south in broadband. ANZA is the same way. ANZA does what it says it's going to do you know, and we can account for every dollar because I can still account for the original construction in 37, you know, <laughs> right. have extremely good bookkeeping. Cause if you don't, when you take federal money and you're an electric co-op, people get grumpy. If you didn't <laughs> do it, <what> just <you> said <laughs> they get
1: grumpy and they send out people that have handcuffs, right?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Our first, our, our first general manager in 38 had that problem oh. so. <laughs>
1: lesson <laughs> learned now yes, correct me if I 'm wrong. I think that the California program works it's not like they just like, oh it's going to cost you ten thousand dollars to do this home. you know here's seventy five hundred dollars you cover the rest their Their grants I think are a hundred percent of the cost for the areas that they're targeting. Is that right am I Wrong with that
0: for the current grants uh previous grants they were a mixed bag. we got some in 2019 for construction in 2020 that were uh, mostly ninety and a few hundred percenters. so we put up some of our own funds to match it. Um, a grant last year and then these are all at a hundred percent
1: right but then it, then you have to put in your own money then to connect those others who are not part of that uh, the layout plan or the in the area that they're served.
0: Yeah, and, then we, and we do that, and, uh, and this electric utility, uh, we both will invest for the five-year payback. You have to get a fast turnaround with telecom, but also for electric, um, electric will build um, a SCADA control lines. They'll put 72 count down to a substation, and we'll route it appropriately and loop it if we can, and then rent to the subsidiary, who then sells to the customers, And that way it helps with capital. Um, The rural utility service is okay with that as long as its primary function is electric. But electric loves to upgrade and run a modern grid, but you just can't invest millions and not raise rates. So renting out the surplus capacity to the subsidiary is a way to make the electric utility whole and get to the rest of our member owners who aren't on the grant. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, well, how come I got to pay... 300 bucks. And that guy got 99. Well, the grant paid for him and no one's paying for you. You got to, you know, hook up. So, so it's a hybrid um, and it works. It's been working. Our biggest concern really is um, enough manpower to get the job done without hiring so many people that we have to lay them off when we're done.
1: Yeah. The classic, um, I think it was the guinea pig moving through the snake problem. Um, (laughs) Some people don't like that visual. I've gotten comments on that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's okay. I have a, quite a dark sense of humor, so I think it's great. It's now
1: okay. um the the one of the challenges that you have right now is um is a part of your territory or else right next to it is the Dixie area where the Dixie fire was, right? Um, th- what happened there?
0: So um we are we serve sort of the leftovers and remnants and, and just north of us is um is the feather river canyon and it's a staircase of PGE hydro plants. And PG&E, Cal Fire has now finally said it was pg I'm not sure PG&E has agreed with them. Um, it burned, it, uh, it crossed the Sierra. It ended up being from one end to the other end, which is pretty, apparently there's only been two fires and Caldor Fire was the other one in history that ever made it over the top. It burned through several communities, Greenville, Canyon Dam, Indian Falls, especially all took a real beating. Um, And then it burned in and around um, the northern part of our county as well, like Almanor, Chester, Westwood. It burned around them so they're able to save the towns. Fire burned and we had something else called the Beckworth Complex that knocked down our system for a week um, on a whole chunk of our system. The Dixie Fire burned through our lines, but... Pretty minor compared to the towns, of, town of Greenville, for example. So an awful lot of infrastructure burned down. And uh, um, what we're seeing is that a awful, awful lot of people moved away and they evacuated. Mm-hmm. And without broadband, looks like there's a real concern that um, we'll never be able to attract people back to that region. Um, some of the resort towns, yes. But again, resort towns, you have service economy jobs. And, you know, there's both an opportunity and a problem with in the recovery from the Dixie fire.
1: One of the things that uh, I had originally said to you was I understand that uh, most things are going underground. And you said underground is not a help in some of these cases um, because the fire actually destroyed some of the underground stuff as well.
0: For me, undergrounding that's a bit of a nuance there. So when P and is going back, they are undergrounding along like Highway 89, um, obscure highway that curves But it's built into the crust of the earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is interesting digging, and it's in granite a lot of times. So, um, or else there's just you know chunks of granite in the middle of your ditch uh, that don't have a bottom. Um, the mantle, I guess. So the problem is, is that <laughs> gets wet down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the problem you've got is that on you know PGE is digging this insanely expensive ditch, and what they say, well, you say, hey, we'd like to join you. They say, great, this is going to be about a hundred, you know, sixty bucks a foot. So we'll split it with you.
1: Right. <laughs> that's that's always the question: is like, do you have the um, the extra costs or half of the costs?
0: Right. And that's the thing. And, and that's a political issue. So from that side of it, if it's undergrounding, everybody there's lots of people in, that's not a, a bad situation. Or if you're on the valley floor in uh, Indian Valley, which is what Greenville's in that burned, once you're in the valley, it's dirt and it's not bad digging. So the problem is, you know, when PG&E is building overhead, that it's an opportunity. It's not a fast opportunity, but you can follow their polls and go. And so it's really finding a good path to this community, um, these communities, and, uh, and building cost effectively to them or having someone else build to them. And then we do last mile. That's going to be the real challenge up there.
1: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was someone else who told me. My understanding was some of the stuff in conduit burned under the fires. Like being underground didn't help at all.
0: I Haven't heard that wasn't me. Have not heard. Well, that. then maybe
1: I dreamed it. Maybe we shouldn't be spreading yeah. rumors.
0: Well, the problem is, I mean, it's frontier plays. You know, the big guys play it close to the chest, and I had thought in the canyon, it's it's quite possible in town. Cause they did underground in Greenville and some of that conduit may have, you know, especially the weak point junction boxes, mm-hmm. you know, stick six inches up, up in the air. If it's hot enough, you're going to be melting. You might be okay with the runs that are 18 inches down, but you're not going to be okay at the junction boxes. So was, it wasn't me. For me, underground is better. And it's, you know, we would have been very happy if we had undergrounded our original era grant
1: back when local. labor was more affordable.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, well, and it's like, but the problem with with grants, the other thing you get into though is that NEPA and sequa right, and it's when we took the grant, we were going through several hundred miles of a few a hundred miles of forest service, roughly speaking, and the selling point we got a cat x categorical exclusion that was no no shovel needs to hit the ground for us to attach to our poles that run through the forest service and that let us make the deadlines. And so overhead's fast. Overhead doesn't disturb the soil. You don't need NEPA and CEQA usually. And so, yay, you can go fast. And that's the same problem we're having staring at um, uh, North Palumas County. Overhead's fast. Uh, underground safer and more expensive.
1: Yes. The other thing that uh, I feel like you may have hit the jackpot a little bit on is it looks like as California is putting billions of dollars into middle mile, you seem to be in a priority area for one of the runs. Uh, how does that inter interfa- interface with uh, your work?
0: The, the giant if we love the map. Now our one of our our brothers is not as happy with the map because they're they're duplicating a bit. But this would the middle mile project is. Project number two, it's Highway 36, which would connect to the end of our fiber optic line and then run along 36 into the burned areas of the Dixie Fire, towns of Westwood and Chester, run, then run down to Red Bluff in the Central Valley and I-5, which would be the main. I hate to call it the internet because that's technically not it, but there's multiple big carriers on I-5. So that would greatly help us, um, and especially if you know the problem is with big maps and big round buffers is you can't quite see how far down it goes. It's like is that stopped in the lake, or is that going the into the burned communities? So we have questions, and we are working with um, various entities that are just getting their feet underneath them to find out when and so that's a real puzzler at the moment uh it's very very hard to get into these areas because they're doing road repair and tree removal and it's it's kind of brutal and we have our own project so we're trying to figure out how can we leverage what the state is doing well it's on paper looks great and will they do it in a fast enough manner is kind of the biggest question and then can we finish building from the burned area south and make a ring because Again, geography is everything in the Sierra, and it's you know whether railroads are, are where where they are because they could you know get a pass. I mean, it's a it's it's can we make a ring, and that'd be very valuable for us because again, we we've, we've had four major fires in two years.
1: Unfortunately, uh, you can expect that there will be more on the way, and uh, yes, yeah, so a ring would be great. The other thing is, I do sort of wonder um, they're not doing it in the United States yet in any sort of scale, but I. I feel like a relationship with Starlink might be useful to be able to turn on satellite in the low earth orbit backhaul in the event of a, of a disaster like that uh, to try to give you a little bit of an escape valve temporarily.
0: Interesting. I hadn't thought of them as a, as a backhaul option. Interesting. Um, We did lots, you know, satellites, an interesting game. We had a lot of experience with wild blue, which ran great in the early going and we went all in exactly when we shouldn't have. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> Timing they had, is everything. Yeah, they had chip issues, and we expanded right when the wrong time. But problem with satellite is still always a fundamental. What you put up in the sky is what you get, and there's no fixing it. There's mm. no adjust. You know, whatever whatever you did <laughs> when it was on the bird on the rocket, <laughs> there it is. And you know what is good service now. Um, you know, we're going to go from a 50 by 10 package as a base package to 100 by 20, which we have a little higher package, to 250 by 100. And it's you can't do that with satellite. And the other issue with satellite is always the more you load it up, the more you're doing a shared resource. Where Mm -hmm. with fiber, you know, did we say 10 gig cards? We meant 100 gig cards. You know, Mm -hmm. all you got to do is change the cards out and you're off to the races.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, um, I definitely don't think that with the kind of usage you're talking about, you'd be able to – to do it every day. But in the event of an emergency, I, um, I feel like, uh, anyway, I, I, I've i talked with some of the folks from Starlink, and I know that they've tried to help emergency responders in emergencies uh, with that, um, the fact that they can drop, you know, a few hundred megabits um, on places at low latency now. And, um, you know, uh, anyway, it's just something I thought I'd throw out there and see if it crossed your, your radar screen.
0: Yeah, haven't yet, but interesting. we You know, because we're looking at even if it's still going to be two three years before we get a ring done, mm-hmm. and you know we're actually trying to do a snowman, uh, a figure eight configuration if we can pull it off, but that's that's some years away. Because we are hoping in these towns, you know, building middle mile is not fast. Whether even if you're in the Cal Caltrans right of way, it's not a fast process. Um, grants take time to apply for et cetera, and we think both starlink and then a local wireless company may be very good short-term solutions for everybody those towns they may go back to dsl from the from the incumbent but that's still going to be limited by copper and poor uploads and all that last two questions are you in an area where
1: you get f- snow by the foot is that is that something that happens in the mountains that's beautiful yeah.
0: Yeah. When we recruit linemen from the Dakotas and Minnesota, uh, we say, you know, it doesn't go below zero much and the snow falls straight down and stays there. And linemen are like, really? Where is this paradise you speak of? (laughs) So, um, yes, we had a, a after some bad droughts, we had a very, very good December. And then now we were having a nice dry January. Fingers crossed for February.
1: Excellent. Well, I wish you luck, and I want to end. But you, you, we, we started off before we started recording in the in the room talking a little bit about science fiction, and I'm I'm curious if there you have any recommendations of anything for a person you've never met, a person who's listening to the show right now.
0: I'll recommend an author as opposed to a book. The okay. best author is Terry Pratchett, and it is absolutely. Um, I consider him. My whole family considers considers him the modern Shakespeare. I. Uh, he passed in 2015, and my executive assistant looked in and saw me just sobbing and was like, you know, are you okay? Did your mom die? It's like, no, Terry Pratchett passed away. So that is the the easiest recommendation on the internet has lots of recommendations on where to start because mm-hmm. he had a whole series of books, but it was about three or four in where he really hit his, his rhythm. So can't recommend yes. it.
1: Yes, that's the whole the whole Discworld universe. Wonderful. I've I've um I've read more than half of them now. I'm a huge fan. Good Omens, just tremendous book, hilarious book. Um, mm-hmm. let me recommend. I don't know if you've anything by Daniel Suarez. He's one of my favorite contemporary kind of like near future science fiction. Um, okay. His most recent one is Delta V. It's about uh, about uh, mining asteroids. And uh, okay. the sequel should be out soon. I'm really hoping. And uh, I'm a huge fan. of Everything that he's written, I think, is brilliant, except for Influx, which is just a bad book. So anything except for <laughs> Influx, <laughs> okay. I was not impressed with. <laughs> impressed. But yeah, um, and it's interesting—from biotech to you know asteroids to just sort of like you know more AI type stuff. Uh, it's um, a lot of good stuff. He's a Fortune 500 security consultant, so he's not um, someone who's um, too far out of line of what's realistic and uh, very enjoyable.
0: Oh, good. Oh, good. It is like I've got to have my, I've got to have an endless stream of books or I'll go out of my gourd. Yes. So, or as you said, we chatted earlier about is, or you can always pepper in an old Terry Pratchett. I mean, we have reordered almost everything in paperback at least twice Mm -hmm. because every person has read it and they just start falling apart.
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs) I keep an eye out anytime any of them are on sale uh, on Kindle, I immediately grab them.
0: Yep. Yeah. Good, good.
1: Great. Thank you so much for your
0: time today. It's a wonderful conversation. No problem. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much.
2: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.